On behalf of our church, I would like to warmly welcome you all to our Good Friday service, particularly if you are a visitor this morning. It's wonderful to have you with us, and I pray that after the service, you will stop by our visitor's spot and just find out more information of the service. A very warm welcome to those of you who are joining us on live stream this morning as well. It's wonderful to have you on this wonderful Good Friday as we remember what Christ has done for us. What I want to do this morning is to share with you a story at the outset that is to lay the platform for what I want to talk about and more particularly why I'm talking this way this morning. I came across a story yesterday that has made a real impact on me. It's a short story but as I said it will explain to you why I'm going to be talking the way I am this morning. I want you to imagine that along with a group of, say, 30 or 40 friends, you have chartered a boat and have taken it on a short cruise around about two kilometres off the coast. You're just going out into the ocean two k's away. Uh, It's a beautiful day. You hop on board the cruise with your friends. You head out. You reach the appointed spot out on the ocean. And when you get there, anchor is dropped. All of a sudden, all of your friends jump overboard and start swimming. And they're having a great time. You are the only person left on the boat. And as you're looking out there at your friends and as they're swimming around and having a great time and just out there in the ocean, really enjoying themselves, you become concerned. And so you yell out to them, hey, I'm going to throw out a life preserver attached to the rope. And when I throw it out, I want you to catch it. And then one by one, I will drag you all in. And everybody looks at you, they're swimming and you know, treading water and stuff, they look back and they say, ridiculous, the water's great, it's fine, come on in, just uh, come in and join us, we're having a great time, we don't need the life preserver. It's at that point that you realise maybe you need to change your strategy, because where you are on the boat, you can see that there is a large school of sharks that is circling your friends, and they can't see it, and you think to yourself now, Perhaps I'd better change my strategy in order to warn them of the danger that they are in. I want you to imagine the world in which we live, all of us, is like a great ocean. And we're out there swimming on this ocean and we're having a wonderful time and we think everything is fine, but spiritually speaking, the sharks are circling. And so this morning when I share with you and as we reflect on what Christ has done for us, I'm coming from the perspective of not just wanting to throw out a life preserver to you this morning, I want you to hear the message that for many of us, spiritually speaking, the sharks are circling. Because not only are we faced for some of it, well all of us are faced with physical death, but there are some of us sitting here this morning who don't know Jesus And not only do we face physical death, but we are facing spiritual death. And I'll define spiritual death very simply as this, that if you die without Jesus, then you will spend eternity away from the presence of God. This is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus says. This is why Jesus went to the cross. Let's have a look at it in a little more detail this morning. How how did God bring this about? How did God deal with this problem? We are out there on the ocean, 
Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The, the sharks, if you like, are circling around us. What did God do to address this problem? Well, God planted a seed. If you were here last night, you will recall this verse. Jesus said, speaking of himself, just prior to his crucifixion. It was in the last week leading up to the crucifixion. And Jesus said, in response to some people who had come to talk to him about spiritual issues, speaking specifically about himself, he said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. He is talking about his impending death. And he describes it as him being a seed that, is, uh, that dies and then is buried, but the result is that much life will come from it. So here's the first thing. This is how God dealt with our problem of separation from him. He planted a seed. The reading that Lloyd brought to us just a few minutes ago highlights this. In this chapter on the resurrection... And some of you are probably wondering, why are we talking about the resurrection on Good Friday? Well, there's just a few thoughts I want to draw out from the passage that was read. If you have your Bibles or reading devices, follow with me. But I want you to notice the analogy that Paul uses. Paul uses the analogy, as he talks about the resurrection, of a seed that dies and is planted in order to produce life. He uses that same analogy that Jesus used to describe his death. In verse 36, Paul says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. He's talking about a seed that's being planted. He's using the analogy of agriculture. As he addresses this issue of the resurrection, he thinks in terms of planting and harvesting. He goes on, he says, speaking of the body, you sow a bare grain. He goes a little bit further into the passage. He refers to seeds which ultimately produce bodies. And if you have a look at verse 42, again, he uses this word sown. He says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. Now, notice how he describes the body that dies. Look at the words. They're very specific words. The body that dies is perishable. It dies and it is left in dishonor. Notice that. It is buried in weakness. It is a natural body. What is Paul saying? This analogy of a seed that is sown, a seed that is planted. Well, describing our bodies, what he's saying is our bodies are subject to corruption. They are subject to decay. They are subject to death. When we die, our bodies literally perish. Here's the other thing. He said the body is sown in dishonor. Now think about this. There is nothing honourable about a body that decays in the ground from God's perspective. Now, why is that? Because that was never God's intention for us. God's intention for us was not death. God's intention for us was not spiritual death, eternity spent away from him. God's intention for us was life, full life. So in our current state, when we die and are buried, we are buried in dishonour. There is nothing honourable in death. Our bodies are weak. They succumb to the natural processes of the world of which we are a part. All of this takes place, says Paul. I want to bring it back to Jesus. When Jesus died and was buried, God planted a seed. Think about that. God planted a seed. Think about this, because on this Good Friday, 
And those of us who know Jesus, we are so thankful for this moment in history where Christ died and became the saviour of the world. But on this day, back on that first Good Friday, all those years ago, Jesus is crucified, he dies, he is buried. Now note this, because sometimes I think we forget about this. As I said, the, the seed, his body is planted. That was a real body that was buried. It was a real body that was subject to decay, subject to weakness, subject to corruption, subject to death. It had succumbed to death. It is a real body, the body of Jesus that is laid in the grave. God plants a seed. So the question we have to ask ourselves is why did God do this? Why did God do this to his beloved son? We read over and over in the scriptures about the incredible relationship that exists between Jesus and his father. He is called the beloved son. Why did God do this to his beloved son? Why did God do this to someone he was in such close relationship with? Why does God send his son to this world and he has this incredibly successful ministry and people are flocking after him and yet in less than a week the whole tide of public opinion turns against him and he is arrested, he is charged unjustly, he is flogged and then he is crucified and he dies. Why does God allow that to happen to his beloved son? God plants a seed, we've noted that, but why did God do this? I'd like you to look in your Bibles in 1 Corinthians 15 because Paul tells us why. Let's just read verses 45 to 49 again, shall we? Just have a look, follow along with me. Paul says this, It is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. That's referring to Jesus. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man, Adam, is from the earth, earthy the second man is from heaven they have different origins as is the earthy so also are those who are earthy and as is the heavenly so also are those who are heavenly just as we have borne the image of the earthy we shall also bear the image of the heavenly here's the first thing that paul is saying that tells us why god did this to his son first thing is adam left his mark on all of us do you notice the phrase, the terminology that Paul uses? He describes Adam as coming from the dust. We also are from the dust. When we die, we return to dust. Adam returned to dust. We return to dust. Adam has left his mark upon us. We have the same kind of bodies. So Adam has completely and utterly left his mark on us. That's good news, but there's some bad news with it as well. Not only has he left that mark on us, but he's also left upon us the stain of sin. Because of the rebellion of humanity in the garden, every one of us are sinners in rebellion to God. You might be sitting there and you're saying, well, I don't commit big sins. I might lie a little bit sometimes or I might just want to do my own thing. The essence of sin, it's not what you do that is the essence of sin. It's your attitude towards God. And our attitude, our primary disposition as human beings is that we will live our lives our own way. We may believe in God, we may not believe in God, we might not be so sure about whether God exists. But a lot of us fall into the category of how we live our lives is, yeah, God's there, but he's kind of like a landlord, he's absent. We've got the run of the house and we can do as we please. Yeah, God's there and when I die, well, of course you let me into heaven because I'm a good person. That's how many of us live our lives. The Bible defines that attitude as sin. 
The Bible says this, that for the wages of sin is death. And it's not just physical death, it's talking about spiritual death. Adam has left his mark on all of us. That is the bad news, folks. The sharks are circling. That's the bad news. But here's what Paul says also in that little section that we read again. Jesus gives us life. Jesus is called the last Adam or the second Adam. Jesus is defined as having his origin in heaven. Jesus is the one whom God sent into this world in order to pay the penalty for our sin that we might have life. This is why Paul says back there at the early part of that little section that we read that the second Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. Now, if you look at it in the context of 1 Corinthians 15, of course, it's referring to a resurrected body. But it's more than just a resurrected body. Paul is reminding us that because of the work of Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection, he gives us life now. This is an amazing thought. This is an amazing concept. At that moment, when Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin, he became our mediator. Some of you may be asking, what does it mean, this word mediator? It simply means a go-between. It means that we are here in our sinfulness, cut off from God, that our Father God is here and Jesus is the mediator. He stands between man and God as the God-man and in dying for our sin, he becomes our go-between. He becomes our access into relationship with the Father because of what he has done at Calvary. He becomes a life-giving spirit. Here is what Jesus himself said about this life that he brings to all those who trust him. Listen to these words, really important. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, notice this, you hear my word and you put your faith in the one who sent me, Jesus says you have eternal life or has eternal life. Now the importance of that phrase is it's a permanent possession. It means the moment you trust Jesus, from that moment on, you have eternal life. It is your permanent possession. It is something you will never lose. From that moment on, you have been given life. Jesus went on in the same phrase and said this, and, it gets better, does not come into judgment, notice that, but has passed out of death into life. Now this word passed out is really interesting because it refers to a permanent state. It's saying that that moment you trust Jesus, not only do you have life, but you are no longer judged for your sin. You have passed out of judgment and into life. It's an amazing thought. You will no longer face death. You have passed out of death, the death of judgment. What is was he talking about? He's saying that you are under prior to trusting Christ, you are under judgment for your sin. One day you will stand before God and he will call you to account for your life and he will judge you for your sin. But Jesus says, if you trust me now, if you put your faith in what I've done uh, in me now, you will not face that judgment for sin. You have eternal life now and you have passed out permanently from death into life. 
What does it mean for the Christian? The person who trusts Jesus is out there swimming. The sharks are no longer circling. Because the Christian has passed out of death into life. It's a really interesting word, this word pass out. It literally means to be taken out of this space and put into this space. So imagine this. If you don't know Jesus at this point, you are standing in a queue and at some point you are going to die and then you will face judgment for your sin. That's the queue that you are in right now if you don't know Jesus. And the Bible says that you will experience spiritual death. You will be, part, you will be cut off from God for all eternity. The Bible talks about heaven. The Bible talks about hell. There are all sorts of ideas about what hell is and what hell isn't. Let me tell you this. I think the best definition of hell is this, that hell is eternity away from the presence of God. And do not think for a moment that in hell you'll be there with all your friends. Because the Bible makes it very clear that hell is a place of loneliness. Cut off from people, cut off from God. Right now, if you don't know Jesus... The sharks are circling and you're in this queue awaiting judgment and ultimately spiritual death. But the Bible says, Jesus says, that if you trust me now, you have passed out of judgment and you're in this queue. This is the queue to life. And it happens the moment you trust Jesus. You are now in the queue that is going to stand before God and be accepted into his presence and into eternal life and into the presence and glory of God and Jesus forever. This is what it means to pass out of judgment and death and into life. That, folks, is not just good news. It's fantastic news. This is what Jesus has done. And all of this took place on that first Good Friday. Why do we call Good Friday good? From a a purely human perspective, you can look at Good Friday and you can say, what is good about a man like Jesus dying such a humiliating death and seemingly is left in the grave? That's a purely human perspective. What is good about it? The source lies in the root of the word. Back in Old English, the word good could also refer to something that was holy, And so when the church gave Good Friday the name Good Friday, it was saying it's Holy Friday. Some traditions call Good Friday Great and Holy Friday. So so that's why we call Good Friday good. It's good because it's a holy day, because of what Christ has done. And on that first Good Friday, on that first Holy Friday, as Jesus hung on the cross, at a given point, he quotes a psalm which expresses the the deep, deep anguish in his soul. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Scholars call this the cry of dereliction. It's the first time in the experience of Jesus, he who is the eternal son of God and has always been in fellowship, close relationship with his father, never known what it is to be broken in relationship with the father. At that moment, as he bears the sin of the world, as all the anger of God against sin is poured out on Jesus, our sin, 
His anger at our sin, all of it is poured out on Jesus who had never committed any sin. In that moment when Jesus experiences the weight of all the sin that has ever been committed, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because in that moment, he understands, he feels what it is to be cut off from God, to be separated from God by sin. We are born in that condition. Jesus never knew that, but at that moment, When all the sin of the world is poured upon him, he experienced what we call the sting of death, what it means to be cut off from God. Paul described it this way. He says, He, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf. Elsewhere, Paul says that Christ became a curse for us. It's a holy moment in the history of the world, the holiest moment in the history of the world. We will never understand as human beings what it cost Jesus. We will never understand fully what it meant for Jesus to experience the judgment for sin. Let me just share a a very brief sentence from a scholar who said this, talking about this holy moment. There must always be mystery here. We do not understand and cannot even begin to understand how evil appears to God. It is a holy moment. And after crying out, Jesus drank some sour wine, he cried out again, and he died. And in that moment, he became our sin bearer. It's a holy moment. This is why Good Friday is called Good Friday. One final thought. Jesus died in faith. Reading and reflecting on this yesterday, the scholar I just quoted to you said this, that the cry, my God, my God, is not just a cry for God. There's that sense where Jesus is crying out for God. Where are you? But he also said, note this, it's also a cry to God. Notice what Jesus says, my God, my God. There is still relationship there. There is still trust. When Jesus cries out, he's crying out to his father, my God, my God, but he dies in faith. How do we know that? Because at the moment he died, Jesus uttered these words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus dies in faith. What is his faith? What is the faith that Jesus is showing? Listen to this. This is powerful. Jesus dies in faith believing and trusting that three days later, his father will raise him from the tomb. Powerful, isn't it? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So here's what God did. God planted a seed. It's the death and burial of Jesus. As a result of the planting of that seed, his one and only son, that seed will bloom and blossom three days later in the resurrection and Jesus will be a life, will become a life-giving spirit. The seed will blossom and bloom. And folks, the world has not been the same since. It changed everything. Carl Fays rightly describes Jesus as the game changer. The death and the resurrection of Jesus changed it for all humanity for all time. 
Where are you this morning out on the ocean of life? Are you out there swimming and the sharks are circling and you're unaware? I hope this morning that as you leave here you're no longer unaware. Or have you passed out of judgment and death into life? If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Saviour, I will be available at the end of the service to talk with you, to share with you, to answer any questions you might have about the Christian faith. My prayer is if you don't know Jesus this morning, that some questions will at least arise or there'll be some sense in which you want to, to find out more. Please come and talk with me. I would love to talk with you. We can sit down, make a time, have, have a coffee, talk about how you might come to know Jesus or how you can come to know Jesus. But don't leave here this morning with the sharks circling. You can take a step this morning and respond to what Jesus has done, to the seed that God has planted that blossomed into eternal life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and ask our music team to come up. I I have a very short reading to draw things to a close and then the team is going to lead us in song. I just want you to bow your heads and use this moment of reflection to think about what we have talked about here this morning. This is taken from an old musical called The Witness and this moment in the story as they talk about Jesus is at the moment of his crucifixion and it's Peter who is doing the narration it's called they took him down I would ask you just to bow your heads quietly close your eyes and reflect on this as we bring things to a close this morning they took him down his poor dead body and prepared him for his burial They took him down, his poor, pale body, drained of life, ashen and stained with its own lifeblood. His healing hands now pierced and still, serving hands that broke five loaves to feed 5,000. Holy hands, often folded in fervent prayer, poor, gentle hands, now pierced and still. His poor torn feet now bloodied and cold. Feet that walked wearied miles to bring good news to broken hearts. Feet once washed in penitence tears. Poor torn feet now bloodied and cold. His kingly head made for a crown. Now crowned with thorns. His poor kingly head crowned with thorns. His gentle breast, now pierced by a spear thrust, quiet and still, his poor loving breast. His piercing eyes, now dark and blind, eyes of compassion, warming the soul, fiery eyes burning at sin, tender eyes beckoning sinners. His piercing eyes, now dark and blind, His matchless voice, fountain of the Father's thoughts, stopped and still to speak no more. Silence now, where once had flowed wisdom and comfort, spirit and life. His matchless voice, stilled to speak no more. They took him down, his poor dead body, and prepared him for his burial. We thought it was the end, but it was only the beginning.